Welcome to Leadership Lessons. I'm Todd Gray, the Executive Director for the Kentucky Baptist Convention. Leadership Lessons is a program where we talk to faithful leaders who are making an impact for the gospel. My guest today is one of the three announced SBC presidential candidates, Dr. Robin Hadaway. And we have lots of questions for Robin. And, and uh, Robin, thank you for joining this conversation and being part of Leadership Lessons today. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Robin, if you would, just take a couple of minutes and tell us about yourself, who you are, and your ministry. Well, I grew up in Tallahassee, Florida, there in the Deep South. I'm living now in Oceanside, California, where I was in the ministry. Uh, our family was attending a Christian science church in Tallahassee, Florida, when the pastor, C.A. Roberts, led my parents to Christ when I was 12 years old. So I, I did the typical... Baptist thing of going Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening, youth choir, all of that through high school. But I did not become a Christian until someone uh, witnessed to me on the campus at the University of Memphis, where I was going to college. Became a believer, but I already had a commission in the Air Force, and I was stationed in Texas, Florida, Nevada, and Alaska. While I was in Alaska at the King Salmon uh, Baptist Mission, I was called to preach. And so after four years, I resigned my commission after making the rank of captain and attended Dallas Seminary for two years because none of our SB seminaries were conservative back then. Um, my wife and I had grown up Southern Baptist, and so I transferred to Southwestern and graduated from there. And then we sought a position in the Pioneer West. Uh, since my wife was from Phoenix and my parents had moved to L.A., we found a church in L.A. County, First Southern Baptist Church of Monterey Park, Arizona, um, California. And then I also pastored in the Phoenix area for two years at First Southern Baptist Church of Glendale. Then God called us to the mission field. So we served in Tanzania, Kenya, North Africa, and Eastern South America, living in Brazil. Uh, due to the needs of our mentally handicapped child, who was our third child, uh, we transitioned to teach at the seminary and became the residential missions professor at Midwestern. So I spent 18 years on the mission field, 18 years uh, at Midwestern Seminary as the missions professor, where I also was the dean of students, interim president, interim CFO, and, and uh, served on the cabinet for, for five years. Uh, a year ago, I transitioned from residential teaching. I teach now online as a senior professor and we moved back to where we began our ministry with Southern Baptist here in Southern California. Dr. Hathaway, that's an incredible story. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. I, I can't imagine many people living today with more Southern Baptist, uh, greater diversity of ministry experience than, than, you have, than you have had. It's just incredible. Well, uh, I've been around a while. <laughs> We have some folks here in Kentucky that know you well, and those who do really speak highly of you. Ian Carrico is on our staff. He knew you from um, uh, from your time in Midwestern, and then others that I've heard speak to you. I mentioned to you before we got on, Tim Kunkel, missionary, Ivy missionary, uh, considers you a friend, and you, and you and him work closely together. But I have to ask, do you have any Kentucky connections, any connections to the Commonwealth? Uh, well, uh, Scott and Joyce Pittman, who were on staff there, are yep. now back. Uh, they work for me down in South America, came to Kentucky, went back again. And then uh, Chuck McAllister, who was also on staff, he and Janice are good friends of ours. And so 
Of course, and I would also count Paul Chitwood as a good friend because I knew him as a very young trustee 20 years ago on the IMB, and now he's a bit older and is serving as our IMB president. He's doing an incredible job, and we're man, we're so proud of him and grateful for him and having just a top level of confidence and International Mission Board and the work that they're doing. And it seems like the missionaries are resonating with him as well. Do you do you sense that? I sense a, just a great calm and purpose there at the IMB. Not saying that previous presidents did not bring that, but it's just great that uh, Paul Chitwood can bring his steady hand to the ministry there at the IMB. I served under him for seven years at the convention here. Uh, he hired me for as a regional consultant and as a team leader, and it's just a gifted, incredible organizational leader. And we, we knew when the IMB position opened that they were likely to tap our state exec for that for that role and they, they couldn't have made a better choice well um so robin you have uh, expressed an openness to be uh, nominated as a candidate for the president of the southern baptist convention why are you open to that position or interested in being sbc president uh well um i had never thought about being sbc president uh it wasn't a role i thought that uh, i would necessarily be the one filling uh, but since the convention was out here, and um, when uh, Ed Litton decided not to run for a, a second term, and, and just looking at the where Southern Baptists were and are, uh, I thought that I could bring something unique. Um, I grew, as I said, I grew up in the Deep South. I uh, appreciate Southern culture. I uh, went to college in the Mid South. I attended seminary in the Southwest. I worked in the Pioneer West, and then with the IMB, I spent 18 years uh, living in the Middle East, in Africa, and in uh, South America. And then at, at Midwestern, I was the interim president for nine months, interim CFO, admin VP for another nine months. For a year and a half, I signed every check at Midwestern. I know what accountability looks like at a Baptist entity. Uh, during my five years on the president's cabinet, I attended every EC meeting. Uh, so I know how EC works and the SBC system works, and more importantly, how it doesn't work sometimes. So uh, I was also the Title IX compliance officer when I was dean of students. And so um, these challenge, uh, uh, this is relevant to the challenges that, was presented, that were presented in the report just a couple of days ago. So I, I just felt like uh, as a problem solver uh, and someone who was, you know, a bit older, a bit, I don't, I don't know that I can say I'm particularly wise more than anyone else, but that I could offer that to Southern Baptists, perhaps. Robin, uh, as you and I shared before, the, you're, I'm asking you the same questions I asked Bart Barber and then I'll ask uh, Tom Askell next week. You've already kind of answered the third question about what do you think your unique ministry experiences will offer to the role of SBC president. Uh, we received a, a question from a, a, a listener about transparency. Occasionally, there's no doubt you've experienced this before with either the IMB or your time with Midwestern. Uh, what do you say to a Southern Baptist leader or church member, uh, either one working accountable to each. What do you say to a Southern Baptist leader who who says, I want greater tr financial transparency with the national entities or a national entity? How do you how do you help that person? Yes. Uh, and when I supervised 300 missionaries uh, in Brazil, Uruguay and Paraguay, uh, I was the person that 
was accountable to Southern Baptists for at least uh, one-thirteenth of, of the International Mission Board and how funds were spent and personnel were administered. Uh, and, and as I said, I also uh, appeared before the audit committee at Midwestern Seminary um, as interim CFO and as interim president. Uh, these are important questions, and I know it's difficult for those that aren't on the trustee boards to really feel like, hey, these trustees are doing uh, their fiduciary responsibility. But let me just assure Southern Baptist uh, that is taking place. I know that our finance committee, I'm just speaking for Midwestern now, uh, our finance committee um, is composed, uh, I'd say almost half of them are people that work in the financial field who are laymen. Mm -hmm. And so they, they take very seriously this kind of accountability. Uh, at the Candidates Forum um, at First Baptist Church T uh, Keller a few, a few weeks ago, uh, the former CFO of the IMB, David Stevenson, was there. Uh, and as I was chatting with Dr. Steverson or um, uh, Mr. Steverson after the meeting, uh, we, we were recalling a personal audit he did where he traveled to the field as the number two financial person at the IMB to conduct an on-the-field audit because of concerns. And so uh, I, I would just say that uh, each of our entities that are separate and um, by the Constitution of the, of the uh, uh, Southern Baptist Convention, each entity uh, looks at their finances and um, audits are given accordingly. Uh, so, so I just, uh, I, know, I know it's hard to tell people to trust the entity, right. but uh, I, I have found, uh, and, and I'm sure the same would be with the Kentucky Baptist and your own uh, board that would supervise you, uh, that that they are diligent and they receive no pay uh, and, and a lot of criticism for doing a thankless job, but I think they do it well. Uh, Robin, you know, we're experiencing right now in Southern Baptist Life that that we do have a system that seems to address issues of concern. Uh, we had a sexual abuse task force um, uh, investigation because the, the 15,000 messengers in Nashville demanded it. It reached a it reached a point where the messengers said, "We insist on this on this happening," and it and it's hap it's happening. It happened, and it is is happening. Uh, what do you say to that leader that says, "I have a concern about an entity. How do I how do I use my singular voice to express my concern?" What do you, you've been around this for a long time. And yeah. You mentioned the concerns that drove the CEO of IMB to go into the field and check things out. So yeah. how, how can that person voice their concern? Well, you know, back in the day, people would write letters uh, and they would be received by the president who would then, and I, I got some of those letters. Uh, Dr. Jerry Rankin, if, if something happened in South America on any level, not just finances, uh, I'd get the level and I, uh, the letter and I had to respond to it. So these days, it might be on Twitter, or it might be on social media, uh, or it might just be an email. And sometimes people do actually write letters that you respond to. Uh, I know that uh, on the floor of the convention, if there's a concern about an entity, it is referred to those entities' trustees and in the two, two to three to four trustee meetings, each entity has to um, consider 
what the messenger asked and respond to it. Uh, and and I, I believe that this is done seriously by the trustee chairman, by the entity head, um, but obviously you're not going to satisfy everyone if someone just insists, well, you're not telling us the truth, and it, it couldn't be the way you're saying. Thank you, Robin. Uh, so what do you think is your greatest strength as a, as a leader, and then what's one area where you need to continue to, to grow? Well, I would say that, uh, you know, and here again, as you as you said in the um, um, introduction, uh, you, you kind of um, don't really want to talk about yourself that much. Sure. Uh, but uh, I would say my greatest strength is uh, I, I've, I've been on, lived all over the United States. I even lived in Richmond, Virginia, when I was on the staff of the IMB. And Virginia is quite different than uh, North Florida, Alabama, Georgia, Kentucky. It's a whole culture just to itself. And, and so my strength is that I can, I understand Southern Baptist, whether it be in California or Virginia or in the deep South in Mississippi, uh, where my parents are from. And uh, I believe that I'm a uniter. I am someone who can look at a complex problem and find common ground. I mean, the IMB, when they reorganized, they sent me from uh, North Africa to Africa and, and Africa, where I was living in Nairobi, to South America to be the director. You can imagine how thrilled the missionaries were to receive an African missionary, North African missionary, to lead them in South America. But uh, I, I think that I was able to do so by just uh, meeting the missionaries where they were and taking them where I felt like and the IMB thought that they needed to be. Um, I, I'd say this as far as what I need to work on, uh, perhaps like all of us, I'm not real fond of criticism. Uh, <laughs> somebody said on Twitter, and, and I've only been on Twitter four weeks, and I kind of wish I wasn't on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> but someone said, well, Robin Hathaway is clueless. Well, that kind of bothered me. I can't say that I like being clueless. I guess it's better than being wrong, but uh, clueless uh, is not. I just found on, on Twitter that people say whatever they want to and don't care about other people's feelings. So I, I say I would need to work on criticism or taking criticism well. I think you've given a very fair assessment of, of Twitter, Dr. Hathaway. <laughs> People say what they want to and do not worry about anybody else's else's feelings. Thank you for that. All right. Uh, what does it mean to be a Southern Baptist? Well, um, I think that in order to talk about what it means to be a Southern Baptist, that we need to go back and say, okay, what does it mean to be a Baptist? Mm -hmm. So uh, Baptists were founded uh, or emerge, I guess you would have to say, um, because we believed in adult um, conversion and that you did not inherit your, your parents' faith, but that you had to have your own. And Baptists died for that back in the day. And um, we believe every person must make their own decision for Christ. Also, Baptist churches are autonomous and self-governing. Uh, there may be different views of polity, but all Baptists believe that the local church is paramount. So as I like to say, the, the most important Southern Baptist 
the, the per, most important person in the SBC is a local church pastor. I also said on Twitter, which got some comments, uh, someone didn't like it, I said, who are the elites in the SBC? It's our NAM and IMB missionaries. Those are our only elites that we have, and I hope we keep that. But anyway, back to Baptists. Baptists can trace their roots to Adnam and, and Sarah Judson. So the Baptist denomination in the United States, the Triennial Convention, was organized solely to support uh, the Judsons and those that followed them, as well as what we used to call home missions. Now, in 1845, regrettably, the SBC split over the question of slavery and states' rights, and the, S and the SBC emerged as a result. Nobody could have expected that a small group of Southern churches would outstrip Northern Midwestern and Western Baptist churches, and even the Methodists, who were leading the way in evangelism at the time, uh, to become the leaders of the evangelical Christian world in uh, evangelism, church planning, and missions. I believe this has happened due to the selflessness of Southern Baptist people mixed with the blessing of God. What do you, what do you see as the three greatest strengths of the SBC, Robin? Well, I think that our greatest strength is that we believe the Bible. That's what the conservative resurgence was all about, was reclaiming that. We believe in the historicity, the inerrancy, and the infallibility of the Scripture. Uh, I, I, uh, I visited your, uh, the Bible, the, the uh, Ark Museum there, there in northern Kentucky right. uh, on my way to somewhere. And uh, I, I must say that I, I just love that, that kind of presentation because it, it just speaks to the fact that we can trust our Bible. Uh, in our preaching, we need to preach expositorily, and I taught preaching expositorily in Africa and North Africa and in Brazil. This explains the Bible, and we don't use our own biases or subject matter that we read into the text. The second great strength, you asked for three in the question, I think, uh, is the priesthood of the believer. We believe every man, every woman can glean God's leading from the scriptures themselves. And this keeps pastors and churches humble and accountable to God's word. And this means every Southern Baptist who is generally born again has a personal relationship with Christ. And I say our third strength is our missions, folks. My, um, my motto is remember the mission. We were founded uh, in 1845 in order to support our home and foreign missionaries, and that's the primary reason that we come together. We give almost 51% of CP that passes from the conventions to the executive committee for foreign missions, and we give almost 24% to NAM. And this demonstrates the SBC's commitment to missions. I think in the best sense of the word, we are missionary Baptists. Yeah. So uh, we've talked about the three greatest strengths. You've outlined three. What would you see as the three greatest challenges facing the ABC, uh, SBC? And, and Robin, answer it either in a contemporary way, the three right now, or maybe even more uh, long-term facing us. What are the challenges? Yeah. Well, I think, uh, obviously, the, the uh, challenges would be uh, related to the previous question. I would say our greatest challenge is for us to remember the mission. Uh, the SBC only exists for two days a year, and I think some people want it to be kind of like another denomination that goes throughout the year and 
Um, but, but our SBC simply meets to allocate CP funds for the coming year to our mission boards and entities, and then our, our, our other entities. So uh, the SBC is a voluntary association of churches. And um, the SBC has cooperating churches sending funds their way. Churches are in fellowship with the convention, but do not belong to it per se. An SBC church becomes one by sending money to Baptist causes and remains in friendly cooperation with the SBC. So an SBC church ceases to be one simply by not sending money or determining they're not in friendly cooperation, or if the Credentials Committee determines the church no longer adheres to the BF&M or is in friendly cooperation. So I think that's our greatest challenge is we're worrying about a lot of things when we need to be worrying about remember the mission. The second challenge is what Christians have always faced. How do you be in the world, but not of the world? Even in the so-called Bible Belt, secular culture is infiltrating the church. Our young people are not as grounded because many of our churches do not have in-depth children's and youth Bible studies. There's not enough WMUs to focus on missions, uh, not to mention Sunday school, Sunday and Wednesday evening services. So the challenge is to have biblical and relevant preaching, worship, and education in our churches. The third challenge is related to the first two. America possesses only four and a quarter percent of the world's population, but we have 30 percent of the world's wealth. I'd say more than uh, instead of giving uh, more to, uh, to ourselves, that is spending it on ourselves, we need to give more away for the support of missions and charitable causes. And this speaks uh, to the whole question of stewardship. Robin, if you so the SBC president, it's a limited limited role. It's uh, it's not a paid position, as you know, and you've alluded to other unpaid positions. If How would you address these challenges or celebrate these strengths if you were the SBC president? Well, as you said, uh, the SBC president has no pay. He also has no power. And many Southern Baptists do not even know there is a, such a thing as the Southern Baptist convention president. <laughs> but he does have some influence. Uh, the SBC president appoints a committee on committees which in turn appoints uh, committee on nominations. And as you know, that makes sure our trustee boards stay on target. Uh, I think the SBC president can best serve our denomination by reminding Southern Baptists to remember the mission, and that is our mission of missions. Uh, I challenge every Baptist association, state convention, and missions entity to focus on the mission. So uh, I, I would herald that as convention president. The cultural challenge is the hardest one, really. It's a question of contextualizing the church and the gospel for the 21st century. Uh, I, I've written a book uh, that is used as a textbook in our seminary and a number of other seminaries called A Survey of World Missions. I present 20 methods of church planning in order to accomplish this task. Uh, also have chapters on cultural worldview and contextualization. The question is that I address in the book uh, is how we can present the unchanging gospel in a constantly changing world. Uh, the third thing is prior to the year 2000, when we had the covenant for the new century, one of the entities of the SBC was the old stewardship 
Commission. You probably remember that. Many people probably don't. But that commission's job was to promote the cooperative program, Annie Armstrong Easter offering, um, although the other energies did it as well, uh, and, and the Lottie Moon offering at a national level, and stewardship in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my experience as a pastor, and I was a senior pastor six years, the committee hardest to recruit for was always the stewardship committee. <laughs> Nobody wanted to serve on that uh, because everybody thought they're going to ask you to give more. But it's important um, function in our convention is that someone heralds stewardship, especially tithing these days in our churches. Yeah, very, very helpful. So the, the Sexual Abuse Task Force report was delivered on Sunday, a 288-page report. Many of us have either read through it or read and skimmed through it. If you're chosen as president of SBC, how would you lead the response from the Sexual Abuse Task Force report? Well, the good old Nashville Tennessean uh, sent me a note on Sunday to ask me for a uh, response. And so this is what I said then. I, I still hold to it. Like everyone in Southern Baptist life, I was troubled and saddened by the contents of Sunday's release of the report by Godstone Solutions and the Sexual Abuse Task Force. We grieve for the victims and covenant to continue to pray for them. Godstone Solutions report to the SATF presents 17 recommendations, plus 16 more if one of the 17 is not implemented. In the Baptist Press article on Monday, the SATF indicates it will be, and I quote, posting formal motions and suggestions before the annual meeting. It has a listed listed a group of a few initial needs. First and foremost on the SATF's list of needs will be to call for the next SBC president to appoint an abuse reform implementation task force that will suggest steps for the convention to consider over, get this, the next three annual meetings. I said, this seems wise. This will allow the SBC through our committee process to navigate this difficult situation so the SBC can continue her commitment to evangelism, missions, education, educational, and benevolent causes. So I'm waiting to see what it is that the task force actually is going to put in the form of motions for us to consider. Uh, But I'm grateful for the report, and uh, we're troubled and saddened by it. Uh, But uh, I will implement what the mess the will of the messengers uh in this regard thank you for that and uh, dr hadaway you you referenced godstone i know you meant god post i did really i'm sorry yes I, I get that we're, we're all we're all yeah. saying god post when we mean godstone and we're saying godstone when we may need god post poor hans delbeck is one having to deal with all this as, as well but uh, <laughs> i knew what you meant but wanted to just make that very very clear all right thank you you're welcome. Uh, next question. Often a lot of our disagreements are kind of taking place in a very public way right now in SBC Live. Many of them are being played out on, on social media. You gave a description a while ago of, of Twitter. Do you see that as a concern? And if so, why or why, or why not? Well, uh, when my wife worked in the Kansas City Public Schools, she shared with me the social media problem. One of her students was being bullied online. So uh, Kathy asked the girl, well, why don't you just not look at it? Well, the problem was the girl just couldn't control herself. She she had to look at it and see what bad things they were saying. So I've heard an estimate that only 3% of SVC pastors are active on Twitter, but there seems to be a lot of the 3% that are on there, that's for sure. 
so I joined Facebook. I joined Twitter. Uh, as someone who's never been on social media, it is kind of addicting. And as I said, I wish people would be more polite in their interaction. By the way, uh, one person on Twitter said my statement on the sexual abuse task force was disgusting. So, uh, like I said, I did read that. I probably just should get off Twitter after the election. We'll see. <laughs> So uh, let's talk about the cooperative program, uh, Robin. You've 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 worked closely with CP for much of your ministry. So give us a definition of what is the cooperative program and why is it important. So my understanding is that uh, in the 1920s, churches began to tire of constant appeals for funds from the agents. Uh, the entities used to have agents, and they would travel the country raising money. Well, a brilliant system was devised called the cooperative program. Churches voluntarily designate a percentage of their weekly offerings. They go to their state conventions for missions causes. The state conventions decide what percentage of those funds go on to the SBC headquarters in Nashville. Uh, and then those are dispensed according to a program that is uh, determined at the, at the convention. So as I said earlier, the IMB receives 51% of the national CP funds, and NAM gets almost 24%. The other entities, including the seminaries, uh, receive a share of the remainder. So usually, like I found out when I was in our president of Midwestern, we got like 1.7%, something like that. Uh, and of course, there's six seminaries, so it does add up. The, the system's not perfect, but it served Southern Baptist well. I heard Adrian Rogers say once, and he was my pastor, I was ordained to Bellevue. Adrian Rogers said, Southern Baptist, we are many, but we're not much. Well, I'd say we're at our best when we participate in cooperative missions. Oh, well, what a what a great voice from the past. Thank you for bringing bringing his name up. So, how do you support cooperative program in your place of ministry or influence? Not pastor now, but what do you what do you do in your role as a church member or part of your association or state convention? Yeah, so I've been active in my association. I was only living in. Um, Oceanside four days. I went to my first association meeting. Uh, I also um, been participating in some of the state meetings. Uh, when Midwestern was in financial difficulty, when I went in as interim president, every day, well, every week, I knew when the CP check would come from the EC. And I would be sitting there with our financial um, officer, I was the CFO, but we had a financial officer, and, and we would either be surprised or a little dejected, depending on how big the check was. Uh, so uh, I have been served by the cooperative program as I am missionary for 18 years, as a seminary professor for 18 years. And so in my local church, I am advocating with my pastor, Hal Seed, who joined Southern Baptist 10 years ago from the conservative Baptist denomination, uh, but uh, planted a church 30 years ago in Oceanside. Yeah. And so uh, we're working on doing better in our CP. Well, thank you for your, your support there. If elected president, Robin, how will you promote the cooperative program? Well, you think I should, I'll ask you this. You think I should resurrect the stewardship commission? <laughs> well, you know, uh, in Kentucky, we take we take very seriously that 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 not only are we stewards of CP, but that it's also our job to be uh, cheerleaders for cooperative program. If we don't if we don't believe in cooperative 
giving, then we probably had to find something else to do because it, it is our approach to funding ministry and missions. 3,700 missionaries are counting on us to take care of them. We've made a commitment to them. Church planners are counting on us to make. So if, if, the, if the stewardship commission is what we need, then by all means. And, and I think I can promote it. Like I say, I have my own stories. I don't have to tell other people's stories. So I think as you, you can promote cooperative program by telling mission stories, both NAM, we got a, a bunch of great NAM missionaries here in California. I bet with a number of them, I'll meet with some more next week. And they're doing a great job church planning. Also, this is a little sidelight. We, our third child's mentally handicapped. She's a uh, resident of the adult care facility of the Missouri Baptist Children's Homes. Wow. They receive 2% of CP funds in the state of Missouri. Now, a lot of people don't think that is that, well, let, let's just say I've heard that being criticized. But the uh, Missouri Baptist Children's Home are, are older than the state convention. They do a great job of with uh, unwed mothers' homes, uh, adoptions, uh, adult care facilities like our daughter Joy is in, and, and also um, they even have orphanages. And so those kind of ministries are necessary, and only the state convention can do that. Robin, you obviously, you're, you're a CP champion. You've aided the CP table for a long time. You've ministered faithfully. You've stewarded resources that were entrusted to you. It sounds like you tried to be a faithful steward and accountable steward of those resources. What do you see as the greatest threat today to our our cooperative approach to funding ministry missions? Yeah. Now, I want to say this carefully because we support some uh, missionaries that um, work with the deaf, uh, and, and they do it in the United States, and it's not quite the same as would be done overseas. But I would say as more and more churches partner with alternative missions agencies, support for the CP is becoming increasingly diluted. Uh, as someone in the administration of the IMB, I can testify that no mission board stewards funds better than the IMB. And I would say um, the uh, NAM president told me the other day, he was out here speaking, Kevin Ezell, he said NAM actually has uh, two audit committees, one the trustees and then the regular audit committee. So uh, I'm, I'm confident NAM stewards their funds well as well. Uh, now, every church, every local church has the right to do whatever they want to with their own funds. We have churches that are doubly aligned. We have a few churches that are triply aligned with three different Baptist conventions. So uh, a church can do what they want. But I believe the best way for missionaries to be supported is through our two missions agencies, our state Baptist conventions and our, state, our Baptist associations. We do a lot of good work together, and there are always challenges, and we need to be faithful, accountable stewards of what's entrusted to us. Uh, what books are you currently reading, Robin? <laughs> well, as I told my wife, I'm going to read all the books in my library that I never read. And yeah. so some of them are not the latest. I recently read The Blue Nile and The White Nile, two different books about uh, exploration. I'm kind of a buff on Egyptian and African history, having worked in that area and I'm reading a book called um, Safari, which is a history of African hunting safaris. I would say, uh, Gordon Fort, who's a good friend of mine, we always say we're one of the few people that can field dress a wildebeest. I had to shoot my own animals and dress them because we had no 
food in Tanzania when I arrived there. So I'm probably the only candidate that can do that. So a, a wildebeest is about the size of an elk. Well, if uh, if great hunting and field dressing skills are required today for IMB missionaries, we could not have a better president than than Dr. Paul Chitwood. He's a he's a skilled hunter and and uh, take care of animals. So, who is a leader that in, uh, you've been in lots of SBC life for a long time? You mentioned Adrian Rogers. Who is a leader that you enjoyed spending time with, and what have you what did you observe this leader doing well? Well, as a member of Bellevue Baptist Church in the seventies, and then again in the eighties. Uh, observe the unequal preaching and uh, leadership skills of Adrian Rogers. Uh, I preached for him one time, and uh, they did our missionary newsletter. I was ordained there, as I said. Also, my wife and I were we were uh, married uh, at First Baptist Dallas, and W.A. Criswell officiated at the wedding. And I would say that uh, W.A. Criswell met with my wife and I. We were just a young uh, couple. Uh, about to get married, and he treated us like we were the two most important people in the whole world. And I've heard he had that gift. Also, when I graduated from Southwestern two two years later, he remembered my mother-in-law's first name from two years ago at the graduation ceremony. And he only met her one time. So he had a marvelous so I have to give you a third as well. You might not expect this one. My my wife's home church was North Phoenix Baptist Church. When we furloughed there in the 90s, I asked Richard Jackson if I could attend his staff meetings on Monday. To my surprise, he said, okay. So I went every Monday, and I learned a lot that his staff was so excited to be at a church where they were baptizing 1,000 people a year. And I appreciate him doing that for me. He preached in Kentucky at an evangelism conference years ago. I recall sitting in the balcony. I believe it was Emmanuel Baptist Church in Lexington. And man alive, what a gifted, what a gifted preacher and strong communicator he he was, an evangelistic leader. Yes. So, uh, Robin, what is the best ministry advice that you've ever received and tried to apply to your ministry? When I was one of the regional directors of the IMB, um, the IMB, Avery Willis, had training for us. We spent a year with Bruce Wilkinson. He wrote the Prayer of Jabez, but he was uh, CFO or CEO, actually, of an organization called World Teach. He gave me the best ministry advice I think that I've ever had. He said that leaders should adhere to the 80% rule when delegating with their subordinates. So in other words, if you can allow your direct reports to perform the task 80% as well as you would, you'll never delegate to anyone. And so I I would just say to any pastor, any leader, uh, when you delegate, you you have to accept that someone's probably only going to do it 80% as well as you do. But if you don't allow that, you're going to be doing everything yourself, and you're going to be exhausted. That's that's incredible advice. It's it's, it's life saving. So this is your opportunity, Robin, to give kind of a closing argument to Kentucky Baptist Convention messengers who will make their way out to Anaheim. Why are you the man they should consider as our next SBC president? Well, to my Kentucky friends, let me just say, after giving interviews for the last two months, and this is the last one, I hope. And with the release of the Sexual Abuse Task Force uh, this past Sunday, my closing argument may be vote for Bart or Tom. (laughs) Seriously, though, uh, the decision is up to the messengers. 
And I hesitate to give a closing argument, so to speak, but just let me just say this. So I've been a senior pastor of two SBC churches, one where I was the sole full-time staff member. We ran about 100. The other church was the fourth largest SBC church in the state of Arizona with a fourth full-time staff averaging about 409 Sunday school while I was there. Just a medium-sized church, but large by Western standards. I served as IMB missionary for 18 years, seven of those directly supervising 300 missionary men and women, and they all worked for me. We bought the houses, the cars, the kids homeschool. Uh, we supervised their ministry. We did like really being in the military. While teaching at Midwestern, I was able to train about 2,000 pastors and other people. Uh, I served as interim president, interim CFO, dean of students, and as I said earlier, attended every EC meeting for five years. So I've lived in Mississippi, Florida, Texas, Tennessee, Alaska, Nevada, California, Arizona, and Virginia, not to mention Tanzania, Kenya, North Africa, and Brazil. So I think I have the experience and the wisdom uh, to be SBC president. Uh, and serving as dean of students, I confronted successfully and resolved many of the issues that confront Southern Baptists with the uh, upcoming annual meeting in Anaheim. And so the SBC needs a wise and experienced problem solver and uniter. I'm not going to please everybody, as you can see on Twitter, but hopefully uh, I can lead Southern Baptists through uh, this difficult situation that we're in now. And I would say, remember the mission. Robin, thank you. Thank you for your service to the Lord Jesus Christ and doing that in, in the Southern Baptist world. Thank you for your missionary work and then your work at Midwestern. And, and just thank you for taking the time to join Leadership Lessons. We're grateful for you and look forward to seeing you out in California. I, I appreciate the time so much and your great graciousness and uh, for hosting me. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Leadership Lessons. This program is made possible by the generous contributions by Kentucky Baptist through the cooperative program. For more information about the Kentucky Baptist Convention, go to kybaptist.org. And for news about how Kentucky Baptist churches are making a difference, go to kentuckytoday.com.